Well, thanks for coming. We're going to call it a day. Uh, <laughs> I did my preamble and nothing was being recorded. Now I'm done. I'm tired. I'm going to leave. Okay. No. Um, so we're in Mark. And uh, as I've said, uh, I'm not going to repeat everything that I said in my little preamble. It was unnecessary anyway, I guess. The, um, the, as, we end, as we end here, we're going to be in the last few days now of the life of Christ. Really the last few chapters um, as we, if we broke through through 11, 12, 13, we entered into the last week of the ministry of Christ. Um, today in Mark 14, you basically are covering Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of the last few days, okay? And, uh, and, and over the next two chapters, we'll get Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, all right? Um, and these events are uh, poignant. Um, I think that if we can... Um, begin to relate and remember that uh, and to the length that Jesus goes to for us it's impacting in, in, uh, in great ways in our lives and that um, and so it's something to think about uh, in the process uh, of what's happening uh, uh, next week uh, it, it really picks up as we go through the crucifixion and all of the events of it and then the following week praise God we get to the resurrection um, and all that means for us so we're, we're in these few days leading up to it. Jesus has entered uh, Jerusalem uh, just a few days ago now triumphantly. Uh, he came in a very humble manner. Remember, he came in riding on a, on, a, on a donkey, not on a stallion as some had thought he would come, you know, on a big white horse. He, he presented himself when he came in, not to the political leaders, but instead he came to the temple and he straightened things out there because the first time that he came... He came for that purpose. He came to let people know the kind of relationship that God wanted to have with us to um, show how the established way of things had missed the mark so incredibly and um, to let people know that that what God wanted was a relationship with us that was um, close and personal and intimate and based on grace and faith, not one filled with sort of empty rules and regulations. And so we, we saw him uh, make these things uh, and talk about these things. In, in, uh, in 11, he really shows what his messiahship is all about and what he's going to be doing. Um, in, in chapter 12, he exposed the, uh, the false religion of the Pharisees and all that it stood for, uh, just for the last time. And then uh, last week was a very sort of prophetic chapter, a looking ahead at the end times and, and all that that means for us. Well, um, in these next couple of days, he's hanging out in Bethany, uh, and he's with some friends, and events happen, and, and they happen quickly. But that's where Tuesday and Wednesday are spent, and there's some interesting things that happen. Let me read to you the text, and then when we're done, we'll come back and we'll talk about it, okay? Lots of verses in, in Mark chapter 14, uh, 72 verses, so b- bear with me as we, as we read them, and I'll try not to read them like William Shatner. Now, the Passover... And the feast, no, see, wouldn't that drive you nuts for 72 verses? Mark 14, chapter, uh, Mark 14, verse 1. Now, the Passover and the feast of the unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. Nice group of people. But not during the feast, they said, for the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, 
a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. I'm just thinking that's probably not the best nickname in the world, but nonetheless. Uh, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made out of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room? Where where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, the one who is eating with me. They were saddened. And one by one they said to him, Surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them. And they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered today, yes, tonight. Before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing, and when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. 
They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple, and in three days we'll build another not made by man. Yet even their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is the testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. And again he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So a lot of events happening here in Matthew chapter 14. Again, in this last week of Christ. And and, uh, this chapter covers three days, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. The first 11 verses uh, are sort of of hold Tuesday and Wednesday into account. And, And what he's doing is, at this point, we've seen the initial encounters that he had when he arrived into the city. He's now gone back out to Bethany. And he's there with, with friends. And uh, uh, there's this sort of interesting contrast in the first 11 verses because at this meal where they're all just sort of hanging around, um, a woman comes in and uh, she uh, pours a, an expensive uh, perfume 
onto Christ as a, as a way of anointing. It was a, it was a way of expressing her love for her Lord uh, by giving what she had in, in, a, in a very uh, sacrificial way. Um, she probably wasn't aware of the uh, uh, prophetic impact of what was coming because even though Jesus was telling them that he was about to be crucified that he would raise again none of them understood it um, because they they questioned it to the end they never got it Uh, and so even if she had been one who heard it the chances are she wasn't even aware of it it was just an act of uh, amazing love and and it touched Jesus deeply and and yet the others who saw it didn't understand it and they began to criticize and, and the Bible says even rebuke her for a waste of this very expensive perfume because their, their, their thing was, and you know, people get funny because I don't really think it was about their, their, that anybody wanted to sell it and give it to the poor. I, I think they, they maybe were just not even sure how to deal with an expression of love at that level and they were uncomfortable or they were jealous or whatever they were. And, and so they began to get indignant and that was their cover. Well, you could have, you know, you could have used this money for the poor. And Jesus said, you know, she's done a beautiful isn't that she's done a beautiful thing for me and how about she it said you know what she'll be remembered for what she's done because whenever the gospel is preached she'll be right there and guess what she still is she's mentioned all the time because she gets recorded into the story for this act of sacrificial love towards jesus and so he he comes to her defense and and, and yet the contrast is this, that in, in that same 11 verses, Judas, who's the guy who keeps the money, this apparently finally pushes him over the edge. And he's like, okay, that's it. And he goes to make a deal to hand over Jesus to the Jewish leaders for money. And so we see um, what length someone will go to for the love of God. And we can see what some people go to for the love of money. And you see it contrasted before you in, in those 11 verses. And so that's what sort of takes place there. And it's this big contrast of, of the expressions of love and, and what they really look like in our lives. And so he, he spends these days with his friends. Then Thursday comes. And, and the Passover meal was to be had um, that evening. Um, and we've talked about this feast a lot uh, uh, the, the disciples say, where are we going to partake of the Passover? This is verses 12 through 26. And Jesus says, just go to this guy's house. Tell him, uh, where's the room my master needs? And it'll all be there. And just as he had said it would be, there it was. And he says, make preparations and we will take the, uh, the Passover meal there. And um, uh, Mark's gospel isn't that detailed really about the Passover meal. We get a lot, of more, a lot more details in some of the other uh, Gospels about what's really happening. But we, we basically get um, the, the sort of the, the more poignant picture, the bigger central pictures of the betrayal of Judas and Jesus recognizing that that was going to happen. One of you 12 is going to betray me. And they all said, uh-uh. But, but one of them was about to. Um, remember again, when you, whenever you look and you're reading about the Passover, it's from the... The, the Passover celebration that we celebrate communion. And um, as New Testament believers, uh, not that we're not Old Testament believers, but, but a- anyway, um, as Bible believers, as Christians, um, the, the communion that we celebrate comes from the Passover. And um, 
in, in, in effect, we've, we, we can see it from its tradition and how long it's been passed down and where it comes from. And, and that when Jesus um, was offering the, that, the elements of the bread and the cup, that's where we get communion from. And we can trace back the glasses. And you see me do it every weekend when we go to do communion. There was a set order of things, a cup of sanctification, and a cup of plagues were celebrated, um, which was always part of the Passover ritual. And then a third cup came the cup of redemption. And it's with that cup that Jesus changes things. And, and from there, we get our communion. Now, the, the interesting thing, and I want to tie this into something we talked about last week, uh, about the end of days and what's happening. And, and you, you probably heard this because we talked about it in Matthew, but I want to bring it back because it's, it's one of the most um, poignant pictures that we don't always know when we celebrate communion. Oftentimes when we take communion, we, we just sort of, sort of get into a routine and we, we forget the depth of all that it means in our lives. But the, the way that it's set up in, in a, a Jewish uh, sort of proposal situation, when a young Jewish man um, found uh, or saw a young Jewish woman in the marketplace that caught his fancy, um, he would follow a pattern to, uh, to make her his bride. And, and what he would do, you know, a young man would see a young woman and he would fall in love because that's the way that men do things. And, uh, and it's usually a pretty quick thing, all right? And so he'd fall in love and he'd, he'd sort of find out about her, where she was, and he would go to her home to meet her parents and, and he would sort of make the case for why he would be a good potential husband. This is what I do or don't do. This is what I have or don't have. And the parents would get the first right of sort of refusal in the process. It's a good thing. No, he's no good for you. Or, okay, he, he passes the deal. Um, at this point, the, um, the young woman would come into the room. And um, she might not ha- ha- really know this man. It, it would be really up to her and her intuition to know if this was a- an appropriate um, choice for her. And, and, um, and she would get to make the final decision if, if she was invited in the room. I mean, the parents had already okayed it. They were aware of the tradition of what it meant. And the young man would come, and, and he would bring his own glass and his own flask of wine, and he would pour uh, a, a glass of, of uh, wine from his flask, and he would set it on the table. And the young woman would come in, and she would engage in the discussion. They would all talk, and whatever happened. If the young woman drank from the cup, it meant that the deal was done, and they were at that point betrothed. They were, they were to be married. If she never took from the cup, it was understood that she wasn't interested, and I'm, I'm sure the, the guy would probably pick it up, knock it back, and get out the door. I don't know. <laughs> get him another one and get out. I don't know what he would do. but I, I've never even thought about it before. Anyway, she would drink from the cup. They were betrothed. Now, at that point, what would happen is they were, they were sort of technically married, but he would go to prepare a place for his bride. And, and so he would leave, and he would go and prepare a place for his bride. And, and he was not allowed to come back for his bride until his father said, okay, the place is ready, now go. Because we know that, that the men would just do a quick job if he wanted to get his bride, throw it on a hammock and say, come on, let's go. And the father wouldn't stand for that. had to be just right. All right. So last week I said that, that um, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us because we've accepted his proposal, basically. He's the bridegroom, we're the bride. The point at where he accepted that proposal uh, ultimately was at the Passover table. Because when he took that cup 
And he said, this is my blood, the blood of the covenant. When they drank it, there was an acceptance of that. It's a fulfillment of that whole thing, just in, in a spiritual way. And, and so when we take communion, it's our way of saying yes to the bridegroom every time we do it as his bride. And, and that's a big part of the remembrance. And, and we know in the taking of it that, that he's gone to prepare a place for us and we're awaiting his return. And all we're waiting on is the Father to say go. And that's the prophetic time that we're in. And, and uh, you know, I, I like what Jesus says here because he says, I'm not going to drink anymore until... And, and to me, the until is the wedding feast when he's come to get us. And, and that's where that takes place again. Anyway, that's what's happening there as, as you look in those uh, uh, verses 12 through 26. And we, we get, uh, again, a picture of all these things taking place um, prophetically. In verses 27 through 31, Jesus tells his disciples they're going to leave him and uh, that they're going to they're gonna bail out on him. And, of course, they all say, no, we won't. We'll stay with you to the end, even if we've got to die with you. We're with you. And I think they were fairly sincere, although, I, I, and I, I don't make light of it because I understand we're human, and I'm sure they would do the same thing. But, but uh, it, by the time we get around to verse 32 and 42, because they've been going, they've, they've, he took the disciples with them. They, they sung a hymn, uh, which there, there's Psalms, the 118, 111, 112, 13, 14, 15, 17, 18, are all part of the, the Psalms that are sung at Passover. They, they, sang, they sung one of those, and they went to the garden. And they had just said they would never leave him and that they would be with him to the death. They would fight for him. And he goes off to pray, and here's Jesus with his friends. And he pulls the, the closest ones to him says, you come with me, please. And he's in complete anguish. Uh, he, it says his soul, he's overwhelmed uh, he's, he, because he knows what's coming. And now it's really coming close. And it's about to begin, the, these last hours. And he's fully aware of what he's about to endure as he allows himself to go through the process. See, he could have stopped it at any time, but it had to happen so that, that he could pay for our sin. And, and yet he's still in anguish over it and, and all that it means to take on the sin of the world. He's in anguish. And he takes his three closest friends who've just said, we'll die with you, and, and they can't even stay awake. Uh, you, you sort of see the picture there. He keeps saying, guys, come on, this is... And, and they keep drowsing off. They're tired. We get that way sometimes too. But, but you get the, the big switch there. You can see that... that, that, that I'm sure they wanted to, but they just couldn't, they couldn't hang with, with Jesus as he prayed. And he tries to wake them several times. And they just sort of keep nodding back off. And finally he says, all right, come on, get up, because it's come. The time's come. Here come. Here they come for me. And... Judas comes leading a mob up uh, bearing weapons and they approach Jesus. Judas goes and kisses Jesus. It's a sign he's worked out that, that he would go and, and kiss the cheek of the one that they needed to arrest and, and they, uh, they grab Jesus. And now this happens in verses 43 through 52. Um, now in this particular account, it just says that someone standing by pulled out a sword and cut off the high priest, the servant of the high priest's ear. The other gospels tell us it was Peter uh, and and uh, in one of the Gospels, and in one of the other Gospels, it says that Jesus picked it up and put it back on. I like that. <laughs> oh, come on, guys. Bloop. Uh, <laughs> that's cool, don't you think? Um, but Mark just records for us the, the event of it happening. It doesn't tell us who, um, but, but we sort of know that those are the events that take place. And, and Jesus has said, I've been here all the time. Why? What's with the clubs and the swords? You, 
could have got me any time. Have I, have I been leading a rebellion that this isn't what you come to do? But remember, the, the chief priests and the, the Pharisees, and they hate him. They've been plotting for, for as long as they can think of how to trap him, how to get him, and now's their chance. Finally, here in the, in the dark of the night, with not people around, they grab Jesus, and they lead him to a sort of a conjured-up trial before the high priest. And they've brought in all sorts of false witnesses, um, and they can't get their story straight. They haven't been rehearsed very well because it's not going well. The case against Jesus, because there is no case, isn't going well at all. And finally, out of frustration, the high priest just looks at Jesus, and he, and he ultimately just flat out asks him the question, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus says, I am. And, and uh, the, the, uh, he goes on to talk about being the Son of Man. When he does that, his claim there is that he is God. That's the blasphemy. He's saying, I am. I, I am the one. And to the religious leaders, what they said was, well, that's enough. You've blasphemed because you can't say that. And yet Jesus did. That was his claim to deity. And so for that, they felt like they finally had a case. They couldn't prove anything else. So they're going to get him on who he is. See, see the, do you see the irony of their, them getting him for the truth? Because they, they can't take the truth. And so he's arrested. He's uh, beaten uh, severely uh, on these trumped-up charges. And um, what we have left now is, is that uh, and he's, he's taken and put away for the night because they, they have to get him. The next day they'll take him to Pilate. Because the Jews want him killed, but they don't have within themselves the authority to put someone to death. Because they're occupied. Uh, they're under the occupation of the Romans, and that is only possible from the Romans. So they've got him, they beat him, uh, and they, they lock him away somewhere for the night. All we have left in this chapter is Peter, who, who came. He, he followed. I mean, I, Peter, he, you know, Peter loved Jesus. There's no doubt about it. And he's come. He's gotten as close as he can. He's scared because it, the paradigm shift. They never, why, why did this happen? Think about what the guys must have been going through. Why? Because they'd seen the miracles. They'd, they'd been with him. They'd, they'd watched. They knew what he could do. They knew he could have called down legions of angels. He could have stopped it. He could have marched into power. He could have been the king. They would have been the guys on this, uh, sitting around ruling the, the earth, restoring Israel to its the, the, the glory days of King David. And, and all of a sudden he gets arrested and they see it coming. And he's been telling them and they, they just don't understand. And they, it so goes against everything they thought. That they run, they're, they're scared. And Peter, he's trying, he's hanging around. But they, they say, oh, you're, you're with him. No, I'm not. And again, you're, you're, yes, you're, you're, no, I'm not. And finally, you're absolutely one of the guys. And he, and he swears, and, and no, I'm not. And the rooster crows. And he remembers. And it says that he broke down. And he wept. And I, I'm sure it just all came crashing down on him at that moment. And, and I, I don't know if you can relate to how, what it must have been like. To, to be Peter, to be any of those guys who had spent these last three years with Jesus, who were so sure. They, they'd said, you're the Messiah, we get it. And, and you've come and you're going to set everything right. And he said, yeah, I am, but, but it's not the way that you think. This has to happen now. And, and they, they really never fully grasped it to the point of having to run afraid. Now, not here in, in the book of Mark, but, but just so we don't leave the story right where it is, with Peter, one of the things that always amazes me about Jesus was that he's so concerned for us. And he's so concerned for us being restored, even when we've blown it. That in John chapter 21, you should go and read it in, in verses 15 through 17, Jesus makes a point 
of setting this problem right with Peter. He gets Peter aside and he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, oh, Jesus, you know I love you. And feed my lambs. And three times he does it. Each time restoring the denial from Peter to the point of Peter being ready in the book of Acts. We see him stand up to be the first one that preaches. And, and as he preaches the gospel and the good news of Christ under the anointing of the Holy Spirit there in the book of Acts, thousands of people are added, 3,000 men. And the church takes off from there. All because of the love of Jesus for the broken and, and the hurting and the ones that have fallen short. But he comes and he makes sure we're, we're restored. And that's Jesus. And, and, you know, that's my... I'm so thankful for Jesus. And, and that's the way that he treats us. And so, anyway, we're, we're at now this, this difficult point. Next week, very difficult chapter as we read through the crucifixion. And then uh, the following week will be the resurrection. And uh, it's much easier to read through the story knowing the resurrection and knowing that he's coming back for us. But that's it. That's Mark. And uh, we're going to turn it off there. If you're up in Williston, Scott and Pam will pray for you. If you're watching on the Internet, you need prayer. Let us know. Call us. Write us. We'll take care of it. And uh, we're going to shut the videos off. If you have prayer requests, please send them up to me, and I will pray for you real quick, and then we'll call it a night. Oh, if you want these prayer requests to go through to the prayer.